Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy, and today we've got an amazing guest on our show, as always. He is the creator of Zen Warrior Training, a mindfulness mentor, leadership coach, inspirational speaker, breathwork facilitator, disability influencer, is on the Metal International Executive Team, and No Barriers USA Ambassador. Welcome to the show, Sam Morris. How are you doing there? It's great to be here, David. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Uh, yeah, we first met in uh, Mental in- Metal International there, and I've just been impressed with the work you've done. So this is going to be a fun conversation, that's for sure. I'm uh, excited. Absolutely. Uh, so what is a Zen warrior, though? Like, this is something you embody and people are just magnetically drawn to you. How would you describe it? You know, Zen to me is all about that sort of state of mind that we all deep down seek, where it's that space of total peace and stillness and equanimity, which is a word that we don't hear a whole lot, but this space of where everything just kind of calms down and you have this feeling of oneness with the universe. And the warrior component of that is in order to attain and achieve that type of state and to live from that state, one has to have so much discipline around their inner world. It's not so much about being a warrior in the outer world. I can be a warrior in the outer world too, but it starts within. Like anything that might be a obstacle that's related to some sort of past experience, some sort of belief system or whatever, I want to go to war with that so that I can live from a place of equanimity, from a place of stillness, from a place of presence. And my feeling is that presence is our greatest asset. And presence is this elusive thing that doesn't get talked about that much. When we think about assets, we think about money, we think about our possessions, our accumulations. But those are assets that might support our lives, but they aren't our lives itself. What is our life itself is our presence and our ability to be present Mm. and experience the power of the present moment. Nice. And I like how you're tying together that inner battle with this peaceful serenity and, as he called it, equanimity. Equanimity, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> I love that word now. I'm going to yeah. add it. Um, it's really like being the, the eye of the hurricane and getting that there's right. always going to be chaos all around us in our lives. Our circumstances are always going to present chaos and uncertainty but we can learn to be that eye of the hurricane. We can learn to embody that state where we're really not affected very much by the ups and downs and the craziness of life. Wow. That, that is definitely deep. And that's kind of the yin and yang of things though, is that everybody wants this peacefulness, this calm, uh, they're getting caught up in the storm and, they're always taught to battle, 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 but how do you go from battling to inner peace then? Um, yeah, well, the way I, yeah, my experience is that the ultimate 
battle, if you will, is the battle with oneself that is in apparent opposition to surrender paradoxically. So okay. there's this oppositional kind of thing that is created through our inability to trust what will happen if we let go of the battle. What will happen if we really just drop it all and go, you know what? I can't win a battle that I didn't create, that that it's just being created from my mind. Like I can't win that battle. I have to actually let go completely. And it's that uncertainty of what is on the other side of that, that tends to keep people in a perpetual state of battling some sort of inner force that they don't quite understand. But that inner force is just mental chatter. It's just ruminating thoughts. It's just past experience and memory and projections about hypothetical outcomes in the future. That's all just activity of the mind. So when we can recognize that and get that the activity of the mind and the feelings of the body are, are phenomena, but that they aren't ourselves, that's the key to get, oh, that's just phenomena that's occurring in the mind and phenomena that's occurring in the body, but it is not actually the self. And so it's that awareness plus the willingness to then let go of the attachment to all that phenomena that creates that sense of peace. So it's paradoxically, the greatest battle is the the battle with oneself, which is only won through surrender. Okay. But if we surrender, don't we lose? Like that's what we're taught. We, you always have to be fighting. If you want something, you got to fight for it. Uh, <laughs> so that's the that's the story we're told, right? That's the story that we're told about how there is this sort of oppositional experience between self and the external world, and we are we are really conditioned around this notion that I got to fight for the good grades when I am going through school, and I have to fight for people's appreciation. It really starts with I have to fight for approval. You know, like uh, when we're when we're little babies, we're kids and we feel like there are certain things that are acceptable and certain things that are unacceptable. And we create this sort of duality in our minds. We're conditioned around unless I do the things that are acceptable, unless I win approval, I won't feel validated. I won't feel like my full self. I won't feel safe. And so what happens is the child's brain takes that and it never really goes through any type of real transitional, transformational process to get on the other side of that, where one doesn't need to create validity or create acknowledgement through the external world. And so because there's no sort of rite of passage, that same tendency gets passed on into adulthood. And it's actually no longer needed. It's just a relic of past experience that tends to maintain itself throughout our entire adult lives unless we actually look at it and go, oh, I'm still playing out the same pattern of needing to thinking that I need to fight for validation and approval in order to approve of myself and in order to feel safe inside of myself. But what if some of these things limiting you are yourself. Um, 
and you kind of feel defeat almost. Uh, do you need defeat or adversity to surrender and let go then? That's a very interesting question. I mean, for me, I would say that I have exp- I have certainly experienced my fair share of adversity having gone through a, uh, an experience back in 1999, which was half of my life ago, where I became paralyzed from the waist down and I had to deal with a lot of very intense adversity as a result. And part of what that did was it challenged me to the very core of my identity with everything that I had sort of unknowingly sort of identified as this is the the me that needs to maintain itself throughout the course of my adult life. Like six foot three athletic cyclist, snowboarder, skier, very, very highly functional, able-bodied adult male, 24 years old, suddenly out of nowhere, spinal cord injury left me paraplegic. And that then completely shifted all of that. And in many respects, I went into a mm, sort of more innocent experience of myself because I had to rediscover, well, who is this independent of what I thought that I was? It was a real challenge to my system. It was a challenge to my mind and a challenge to my body to lose all of the sensation and motor function in half of my body and go, who's still here? Who is this? And one of the things that I noticed was uh, over the course of, it took many years, but recognizing that there are ways in which I was in certain ways, almost trying to compensate for the loss of the thing that I thought that I needed and sort of gain approval or, or gain my own sense of validation or my own sense of wholeness back somehow. But really it was just a matter of letting go of needing to have any of those things. And I find this really interesting on a personal level. A lot of people will still sort of project to me that there's uh, they in, in, they don't do this intentionally or with any kind of right. ill intent, but this feeling of, oh, I would be better off walking. I would be better off able-bodied. And, you know, sure, that would be convenient. I wouldn't argue against that possibility, but I'm also not hanging my hat on it because I don't need that to feel whole. Uh, I've actually realized, you know, that that sort of, again, paradoxically, that the less we are attached to something that we feel defines us in order to feel a sense of wholeness and, and, uh, capacity, the less we are attached to those things. Paradoxically, the more actually whole we actually are in the moment already without the need for those things. Okay. Now you're working with a lot of people that have gone through lesser extents of this. And actually this kind of hasn't been touched upon, I think, uh, in a lot of kind of the mindset circles is that perhaps the the hardest thing in life is to have things we love taken away from us. Mm-hmm. And this seems to be the revolving theme around things, though, that whether it's in business, whether it's relationships, whether it's place you live, uh, in your case, uh, being able to move your legs and walk, 
Um, all these things seem to be taken away from us during life. And right. how do people walk through this, this really dark valley and come out better on the other side? And what are the ways you help and kind of mentor people in this, this arena that is just oh, brutal for people? It can be absolutely brutal. And I'm glad that you're mentioning this because this is, yeah, this is one of the hardest things. I mean, we we're taught to accumulate, but we're not taught to let go. You know, right. We're taught to get more knowledgeable about things. We're taught to make more money, have bigger businesses, have more relationships, etc. We're not taught and we're not taught the other side of that. And so there's this kind of notion that we, I think, unwittingly attach ourselves to around accumulation, accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. But as the Buddha taught, accumulation and attachment creates the very things that create suffering. And so, um, so it is the things that, we, that are impermanent that we believe that we actually need that are actually creating layers upon layers upon layers of suffering. Because in order to maintain those things, it takes all of this sort of striving and effort to keep maintaining the things that we think that we need in our lives that will inevitably go away anyway. And so there's this interesting dynamic, this interesting push and pull between acquisition and the potential suffering that that acquisition inherently implies, because you're not going to be able to take everything with you. You're actually not going to be able to take anything with you on your final breath. Right. And so part of what I do with that, when I'm working with my clients is a lot of them are really high performing people. They've, they've accumulated, they continue to accumulate. I right. celebrate that. It's great. I'm all about accumulating wealth. I'm all about building businesses. I'm all about living a healthy life and taking up space and claiming what you feel you want. All about that. But if it comes at the expense of attachment, that's where it gets a little dicey. So we actually have to work with the attachment thing all the while along as we go in the direction of greater accumulation, greater wealth, et cetera, and continue to work with, can I do that while also practicing and meditating upon the dying to the self every day as much as possible? Because that's another paradox. In order to fully live, we have to also be allowing ourselves to fully die too. And mm -hmm. one of the greatest gifts that I got from my paralysis is in a way it was like a death to a former self. But in that full death, in that full death, there was also a rebirth that occurred as well. And what I've noticed through this process, when you can really go all the way through in your mind's eye, the process of that death, and you can feel it, and you can really be with it, inevitably, what is very, the most valuable thing, which is our essence, is the one thing that keeps rebirthing. 
it keeps coming back. It keeps forming itself in a new form. The consciousness that animates ourselves, the essence of who we are continues to rebirth itself. Amazing. And, uh, kind of on that note though, um, is this, this rebirth, this suffering, and you've come out the other side and you've actually accumulated more in your life, haven't you? I have. Um, like if and, we look yeah. at your, your resume now, kind of just the career and business aspects, um, uh, let's let's boast for a second you've been in musical productions you were on the crew with russell branson uh, russell brand like, not russell branson, russell brand russell brand story. Brand. <laughs> <laughs> and um all these celebrities and uh you continue to have great relationships with a lot of people who see eye to eye um just kind of speak to to once you've developed this mentality and, and change of kind of psyche, uh, what's the difference between the accumulation you've had now versus the accumulation you see in people battling? Yeah, well, for one thing, everything that I choose to do, I choose to do because it is something that I feel just totally engaged with. It's not something that I feel that I'm doing because I have some sort of obligatory sense that I need to do it and some sort of um, attachment to uh, this sort of some weight of the world that I need to take on in order to maintain something. It's actually like something that I'm so present with that it's, this is how I want to engage my mind and body. And this is the thing that I... I'm really interested in right now. Right. And so there is a, um, one could look at it as accumulation, but really it's more moving through life in a way that excites me. Uh, and that's a freedom to have that agency to move through life in a way that excites me and keeps pushing my edge to keep on learning and engaging in different ways and on new levels. Uh, that is the most exciting thing. That's the thing that wakes me up in the morning is doing something that's different from the day before. And right. it's something that keeps on pushing my own personal and professional envelope in new directions. So that's how I would say I orient around the things that I choose to do these days. I really give myself the full freedom to not have to do anything in particular and then from that place, again, paradoxically, then I can be so much more engaged with what I'm doing because there's no should behind it whatsoever. Right. Okay. Now, this all explains the long game. And to, and to be honest, there is no such thing as a short game in life. It is all this long journey, process, exploration, adventure. And that requires, though, day-to-day -day things. What are kind of the day-to-day -day practices, both kind of emotional and physical that you do to, to keep yourself in line with, with what you're saying here? Yeah. Uh, one of my practices is I try to get into the sauna every day. Nice. And I'm about to add a cold plunge to, to that as well so that I can do hot and cold. But I do do cold showers every day. 
I have not had a hot shower in about a year and a half. I've been <laughs> waking up and doing saunas and then doing a cold shower outside under my garden hose, whether it is, no matter what the season is, no matter what the temperature is, it can be freezing outside and I will still get under my garden hose. And so on a, both a physical and a mental level, that is just great. Um, I eat healthy, organic food. I practice breath work sometimes with you on a day or you're usually with you on a daily basis. Um, and I also let myself meditate uh, I, periodically by depending on the day. Sometimes I will do uh, a few minutes. Sometimes I'll do a half hour or more. Uh, so one of the things that is a discipline actually is deep relaxation. Okay. And so when I say deep relaxation, what I'm speaking of is doing relaxation in a way that is truly intentional because a lot of, as, as you well know, a lot of the time when we are sort of hanging out or we are thinking that we're relaxing, our brains are still very much active. So for example, if I am watching TV or watching a movie or something like that, it might seem to be relaxing because I'm not engaged in an activity that I think is, you know, doing and I'm entertaining myself, but my brain is still working. Right. So there's a deeper form of relaxation, which is meditation, which is where you're really relaxing. You're really letting go of all of the activity going on in your mind, which is actually a discipline. It's actually hard to truly, truly relax. And most of the time when we are truly relaxed, we're actually asleep. So we don't, right. we're somewhat dissociated when we're asleep, of course. So for most people, their waking lives don't actually include anything that is truly relaxing where they're really shutting off from all input. And so I also work on uh, uh, disciplining that into a day-to-day -day routine. And also when I'm working with clients, when I'm doing my work, I'm working on how embodied am I right now? How present am I right now? I'm always self-referencing around the degree to which I'm actually fully present. So I use my work as a, a sort of a spiritual or psychological practice as well. Now, you're kind of mentioning two different things in the line of presence. Um, mm -hmm. Presence with your clients and interacting with other people, which is an alertness. And then mm -hmm. also presence with yourself, which is a relaxation. Mm -hmm. uh, can you kind of uh, speak to how those two uh, build on each other, though? That yeah. how you need one to kind of feed the other and uh, yeah, kind of the circle there. Yeah, yeah. So the presence with myself is when I'm really in that deeply relaxed state and I don't have to be alert for clients. I want to be in a state that is really more of a, a deeper level of connection inside of my body, inside of my breath, where things can really get still and peaceful. And that's that reset place. 
That's really that place where there is zero agenda whatsoever. Right. And there is no to-do list that is on my mind. You know, when you're, for example, I think most people can relate to the experience of being out in the middle of a forest or something or on a lake and you're not thinking about your to-do list. You're just in a space where you're experiencing yourself and the environment and appreciating the beauty of being alive. Now, to me, that's true reset. Are you ready to take your brain health to a brand new, higher level than ever before? Then please check out thehardybrain.ca and inquire about our virtual brain health intensive programs. Now, to me, that's true reset. That's where everything quiets down. And the interesting thing about that space of reset and quiet is when I go to then engage with a client and use the alertness that I require to work with a client, I can do it from that space of quiet, of inner quiet. So I'm truly paying attention to them from inner quiet versus paying attention to what I think they're saying and formulating thoughts in my head about how I might want to respond. And, and that's, to me, stressful. I wouldn't want to be in that state. And it's also not particularly functional. Now, we all know what those conversations are like when you're saying something and you can feel that the other person is just formulating their response. They're not really listening right. because they haven't established their own inner quiet. So they have an agenda that is playing inside of their brain versus actually being fully present. And I don't like it when that's happening to me. I don't find it a very functional way to be with other people. And so I know it's not functional when I'm being with my clients. I want to see them in the most precise, clear, agenda-free manner possible so that we can get the most productivity out of our relationship with one another. Right. Now, how long did this take you to kind of develop? Did you have this previous to the accident to some extent? Uh, was it built after the adversity? Or was it a slow, gradual process to where you got now? What was kind of the timeline for yourself with building these skills? Yeah. And I guess you're still building them, though. Yeah. So, so I, I still build them on a regular basis. Um, in fact, I was just on a call with my own mentor just before we talked today because I'm always working to get better at what I do. But part of it's nature and part of it's nurture. I believe that I have always been a good listener. I grew up in a, fortunately, in a very rural environment where there was not a lot of bullshit going on in my right. external environment. There was just myself and nature. So I learned to just be, to be in that sort of stillness with myself. Um, but it was back in 2012 when I, in 2013, I guess I was getting coached at the time. I wasn't a coach yet, but I was getting coached. And um, so many people would come to me and say, 
I don't know how you are able to do what you do and keep the kind of attitude and mindset and sense of humor and presence that you have, despite having gone through a spinal cord injury. And, you know, I look at your life and I think, holy shit, like if he's been through what he's been through, then I can certainly get through whatever I need to get through, et cetera, et cetera. I had Mm -hmm. heard that message so much. Right. That eventually I was basically like, shit, I got to start to monetize this. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, 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 I recognized, I recognized uh, in all seriousness, I recognized that there was something that I sort of naturally did right. innately that I could actually reverse engineer and that the real issue was not paralysis. The real issue was it is one's behaviors of thinking and choices and maladaptations to one's environment that create the sense of paralysis that is created in the mind. But that actually my physical paralysis is really objectively nothing more than an inconvenience. It just means that I can't walk up and down stairs and stuff like that. But it doesn't really paralyze me in any way, shape or form. Because real paralysis, that sense of stuckness, is a mental phenomenon, not a physical phenomenon. So when I realized that, I really leaned into that as a principle and then went through for the past 10 plus years, I've been getting regular training on myself and my own perspective to keep on honing that disposition and become more and more effective in my own life and in my own profession. And of course, the more I've done it with clients, uh, the better I've gotten at what I do too, just naturally. Wow. And yeah, I love how you kind of put it that, and I've, I've heard this before that most people are paralyzed from the neck up and that I look at you physically and the things, right. And I look at you physically and the things you still do and are able to accomplish physically you're less paralyzed than some people who have full function. And with all this being said, though, um, would you say your paralysis is being a blessing or a curse or it doesn't matter because it's just the way you've dealt with things and, and continue to yeah. live your life? Yeah. I would say that, f- that very frequently and certainly in my case, the blessing comes from within the curse. So um, it's not sort of an either or kind of situation. It's the thing that has created the most challenge for me has also, you know, created the most opportunity as well. Uh, What I've really learned to do and part of why I do what I do with Zen warrior training is so that I can keep working on that because I've known that in order to maintain and build upon this already existing fluency with life and and grace and whatever you want to call it, I had to structure in a lifestyle which would keep intentionally promoting this on a day-to-day basis. Because if I take my eye off the, the prize at any point, it can be easy to slip into a more sort of victimhood disposition. So this is how I sustain and maintain this perspective and keep building upon it 
on a day-to-day basis. So in many respects, my coaching practice is for me. It, it's helping other people too, but it's also for me to keep staying present and not to fall into some type of unconscious pattern of association with my circumstances, which would be disempowering. Right. And isn't that another level of mastery though? When you hit that level of practice that it is also you're practicing for yourself, but others are benefiting from it. Yeah. I mean, this, the way I see it is that I've hit a real sweet spot that I think you can relate to as well, where it's like the personal and professional have this really nice kind of interplay with one another. And if anything, that's somewhat challenging for me sometimes because I don't really know when to stop. Sometimes I don't know what's personal <laughs> and what's professional anymore. Uh, but it's a it's a good it's a good challenge to have right. because uh, it allows me to do something that's creating value in the world while also creating value for myself in so many different arenas, both financially and health and mindset and everything. So. Um, you know, if anything, I wish that more people were able to experience what it's like to have your day feel like, oh, I just live my life and my day occurs. Like this is my right. work is an extension of myself versus something that I do that I have to, you know, slug through the things that I do in order to earn the money and the freedom to not do those things. Like to me, that doesn't really, that's not how I want to live. And I want to support as many people as possible because I feel like a lot of times the, the, when people choose a lifestyle like that, that's a subconscious limitation that they're creating on themselves because they have no one's kind of pushing them to examine what's in there what's deeper in there that is a potential that isn't being actualized where your work and your life could have a greater harmonic resonance with one another. Right. Now you you definitely put out that resonance and what are your future plans then? Where is uh, Sam Morris moving this, this energy to? Yeah, I've got a few different projects in the pipeline, one of which is a non-scripted docu-series called Beyond Limits, which will feature uh, severely physically challenged individuals who happen to be some of the most highly accomplished people in their particular disability field, mentoring groups of similarly challenged individuals on the challenge of a lifetime. So we have uh, Eric Weinmayer, who is the first blind man to summit all seven highest peaks on every continent. He is going to be leading a group of uh, blind individuals on a climbing expedition. Uh, We have Aaron Baker, who's a very good friend of mine, who is a recovering quadriplegic, um, leading a cycling trek for other similarly challenged individuals um, on a cycling trek across the U.S. Um, so that's that's exciting. I've got a book in the works with Mark Victor Hansen's publishing company. 
And that's going to be a work of fiction, but it's going to be loosely based off of my own life experience in a way where actually the protagonist is a musician who goes through a very traumatic life event and ends up rediscovering a sense of connection through music, which is also going to allow me to weave in my musicianship into the work that I'm doing. I'll continue to coach some clients privately, uh, continue to do the work that I do with metal. So I've got a number of things in the pipeline right at the moment. Amazing stuff. And uh, I like how it's helping uh, the the go-getters that, that want the individual side of things. And then also to, to people who are struggling and, uh, and, to, and to a lot of people out there that uh, you're hitting on kind of all those, yeah. those bases to... Sometimes the go-getting and the struggling coexist. A lot of the time, the go-getting and the struggling coexist. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So, where would people find more information about this and uh, how to to follow up with you and with things? Yeah, you can go to my website at zenwarriortraining.com. You can reach out to me, email me at sam at zenwarriortraining, and then there's tons of things about me, podcasts and interviews and blogs and stuff like that. If you just search Sam Morrison's Zen Warrior Training. Right on. Where and when is your next speaking event then? Let's see. I have an event coming up at uh, No Barriers, uh, the the No Barriers Summit coming up in, uh, that's in August. And uh, before then, I would love to book some, but I don't have anything on my schedule before then. Right on. Well, I appreciate the time. And for everyone listening, make sure you check out the Zen warrior, Sam Morris. And stay tuned to the next episode of The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. Take care. 